I always say, if you're going to go bankrupt, go big, right? That's my, <laughs> if you're going to go, go big. The mistake everybody makes, everybody makes with bankrupts or most people make with bankruptcy is they, they're just barely bankrupt. And that's a horrible place to be. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Mike, I see you're wearing your Washington's National. Yeah, yeah, it's not talk today. Yes. Dude, you need to put the hat back on, man. You're here. You need oh, Sales Genius Network. Rock there on. There we go. Figured Rock I'd on. break this one out. So so we're uh, we're coming near baseball season. It's getting ready. We are. Start. I mean, baseball season for the kids has already started, but. See, that's just well, moronic. At least, I just have to tell I, you. I, I, I agree. We were out there it, last night for two hours freezing. But by, by the way, it, it first off, it's why there there's a just an absolute. Um, I, I'm going blank on the word um, of, of you know Tommy John surgery in teenagers. Yeah. Well, why is that happening? Kids today take less time off than than pro athletes do. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. The one good thing about our about our league is that we we require no throwing for four months um, between. Um, but that's still not no it. official I, throwing for four months. Right, I, right, right. But I'm now I'm, kids are at the park and playing football. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, and it's also why, I mean, if you're playing baseball right now in Maryland or in Virginia, I'm, I'm just going to, it's why kids, it, like when I coach college, the number of really good kids who just came in and said, you know what, coach, I'm just done with baseball. I'm just done. Yeah. And it's because they played it. Played their entire, right. And they found yeah, girls I, so I, and I, other, other hobbies. So I will go on the record and say, I, I think it's disgusting. That that your uh, that your son is playing baseball. Hey man, I, I'm not. I, I, fortunately, I don't make those the schedules or the rules. So anyhow, anyhow, it'll be interesting. Do they get a whole season in? What's going on? I got. I mean, I'll tell you, I got just kind of some mixed feelings just about all these, um, all these sports things going on with the pandemic. And I mean, how the Capitals I think are going to have half their team on the ice tonight with with everything going on. So. Right. Uh, Anyhow, we'll see. All righty, let's go into you know I I, I want to talk about sales and marketing, but um, man, there there seems to be only one thing on everybody's mind, and that is the Bernie Sanders Sanders meme. No, I'm just kidding. About that was you know if we had recorded last week, maybe that would have been what we were talking about. Right. Um, so what what was your favorite Bernie Sanders meme before we get into the actual big big news? Oh, I think I saw him. Who was he in the car with? Was it Shaq or something? Um, He's driving in a car with Shaq. Like, so, so my my favorite creative. was at the was my my favorite was at the bowling alley between um, uh, kind of going blank on the actors um, uh, John Goodman and Jeff Daniels. If I remember correctly, I'm sure I got that wrong. But Big Lebowski. Yeah. He's in the middle between them. It was like just, you know, and it, it like he fit too. It was like perfect. It was like he that's where he belonged. That's where he belonged. All righty. So we're good. I get to have a little bit of flashback with the big news. Um, everybody today, uh, yeah, talking about GameStop. Yeah, it's uh hey man, did, I I was actually uh when Hannah sent over like kind of the the big news that we're gonna be talking about, you're way more of an expert in that field than I am. But it's it's pretty wild, man. I mean, I, I laugh, but I also cry at the same time. Um, so, so yeah. just, just 
just in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, or if you're listening to this sometime in the future, when this is, you know, the pimple on the butt of a gigantic elephant and no one remembers what it is. So GameStop, which is a retail company, one of the largest sellers of video games that has, um, you know, been decimated from a, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, as retail companies have, has had this, you know, amazing pop gone to, you know, multi-billion dollar um, valuation increase as the result of a, of a Reddit forum that uh, talked about uh, buy the stock, buy the stock, buy the stock. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of craziness, a lot of zaniness. Um, I think the stock basically went from like $5 to $350 in a period of about six weeks. Uh, maybe it was a little bit longer than that. Um, I'll get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna break down a little bit. Yeah, of it from it, a financial it, it, perspective. But right. um, what What's interesting is the whole scheme or the whole thing actually started with Hertz. Um, when Hertz went into bankruptcy, and then this uh, Reddit group. Um, what is it? Wall Street. Uh, Wall Street betters. Wall Street betters realized there was a, a huge amount of uh, shorts on it and they pumped it. They, they went against the hedge funds and it all started with Hertz and that worked out. And then they did it with um, AMC and then they did it with, uh, with GameStop. So, so, you know, they're, they're actually not the same thing. I don't, I don't recall that Hertz worked out quite as well. Um, it didn't work out quite as well, but it, it was the, the same the same thing that brought GameStop's momentum with with this with this blog so, forum was the exact same thing that which which happened with Reddit. So 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 here's what happened. Um, so 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 let, let's break down what happened, and then let's let's talk about you know maybe what what are some lessons from it. How does this apply to sales and marketing or something like that? We'll figure out how to how, how to, make <laughs> how to it bring it all in. Um, so. Um, so GameStop added the previous CEO of Chewy. Um, my dog loves Chewy. Um, I should actually say my wife loves Chewy and therefore my dog loves Chewy because we don't have to go to the, go pet to the store, store and find shit. Um, and, you know, Chewy did a remarkable job of, of you know, direct-to-consumer, online, et cetera. And so there was an initial pop in the stock um, increase in the stock, in the stock price on the excitement and the promise of, hey, maybe that's GameStop um, realizing what they need to do. And they're bringing somebody who's been successful in and, um, you know, I, I would say over enthusiasm to that noise, I mean, to, to that news, um, the stock went up on, hey, that's a company that, you know, they're going to do, you know, whatever. Then a bunch of companies, a bunch of head funds, came in and saw that and were like, nothing's actually changed. And so they shorted the stock. And so if anyone's not familiar with, with what shorting means, shorting basic, well, not basically, shorting means you sell stock that you don't have. Um, if somebody wants to know how you do that, send me an email. I'll get, I'm happy to give you the explanation, but we'll, we'll save the time. Um, so, so in essence, um, you're, if you short a stock, you make money when the stock goes down because you're selling it before you buy it. And then when the, at some point in the future, you then buy the stock to, to close out that short position. Um, it is the opposite of buying a stock. 
if you buy a stock, you buy it and you make money. You know, you're, it, it, as, if it increases in value, you make money until you decide to sell it. Um, now, shorting a stock is a dangerous thing to do um, because if you buy a stock, the maximum amount of money you can lose is 100% of what you invested. But if you short a stock, there is literally no maximum. The maximum amount you can yeah, there's lose no law, the, the, is right. infinite. Is infinite, right? Because the stock goes up and up and up. And, and, and so what's happening when you sell a stock that you don't own um, is you're actually borrowing the stock and you're using margin. So, so in essence, you're borrowing against um, either um, stocks that you already have in an account, um, cash you have somewhere, et cetera. So you're borrowing... Um, for that. And, and so if, a, if you short a stock and it goes up, you will get what's called the margin call, um, meaning you have to bring more assets in to be able to cover the position so that, you know, whomever, whomever is, is, you know, hosting your account, if you will, to use a web term, um, can, you know, can make sure that, you know, that, that the risk that they're taking, that should you, you know, the risk that you're not going to be able to cover the loss. Right. And so the dangerous thing is if you short a stock and it starts going up and up and up, you get margin calls. Um, and very often you're you're forced to buy the stock back. And, and that's actually what's happening right now. You're forced to buy the stock back to cover the loss so that you can't lose more money. And when that happens, that's called the short squeeze. Now, I do have an issue with what people are saying um, because they refer to buying stocks as investing and they refer to shorting stocks as betting. Um, as a matter of fact, most people, when they describe a short, they're saying you're betting that the stock's going to go down. And, and I would say that's, that's true if when you buy a stock, you're betting that the stock is going up. And, and most people would say, well, yeah, that's true. Right. So, so technically, they're both bets. Um, but there's, I think we would all agree there's a difference in what someone would say about, you know, if I were to say I invest it versus if I were to say I bet. Now, now the reason now, now very often a short position is in actuality a bet. You're you're looking at the performance of the stock. You see a stock trending down. You're like, hey, I'm going to make some money as it continues to go down. Um, in the same way that you that, that people do that um, going up, right? There's lots of bets. As a matter of fact, that's a large part of the problem that I think is happening in the market today. Um, so so anyway, so that's kind of what happens when you when you buy or when you short a stock. Now, in this case. I actually don't have an issue with, with what the hedge funds did when they shorted um, GameStop because what they said, what, what, what you saw was right. news what they came s- out and they said and the was... fundamentals don't support this. Right. Yep. Right? I totally agree. Yep. Totally agree. Now, here's what people don't understand about stocks. And here's what people don't understand about valuation of a stock. Right. So, you, you know, you can look at, you know, a company we love, HubSpot. They're, I think they're $18 billion or somewhere around there. They're worth $18 billion, except they're not really worth $18 billion. Um, they're worth $18 billion if every share of the stock trades at the price that the last share of the stock traded at. Right. But it's not like I could sell all of my stock. Okay, all the stock goes on the market and people are going to pay $18 billion. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty good debt that if someone put a sell order on all of the stock of HubSpot, HubSpot stock would significantly go down. 
So another term that you hear in investing that drives people crazy, you drive me crazy, is there were more buyers than sellers or there were more sellers than buyers. And I do have a problem with that statement in general because you can't buy a stock if someone doesn't sell it and you can't sell it if someone doesn't buy it. So you have an equal number. But, but what it means is initially, if there are more people that are buying the stock, looking to buy the stock and to sell it, that's going to drive the stock up. Now, when you look at GameStop, what you see is large volume thinly traded. And what, what that means is you've got the same shares turning over again and again and again. Right now, I saw this. People are saying this has never happened before. This has happened before. I'm, I, this is so reminiscent of 1999 and early 2000, I can't even tell you I have, I can't remember the name of the stock, but it, I mean, I, I had the buddy, my buddy that sat in the cubicle next to me, bought a stock at a dollar, bragged about it when 10 days later, it was $150. And I laughed at him two months later when it was at 50 cents, right? And that's about where he went out. That's about where he got out on it. Now, what you have here is this whole social media amplification that, that has, has driven it even more into a frenzy. Uh, and, and so what happened is um, what you started seeing was the percentage of the stock outstanding that was shorted was an extraordinarily high percentage. Um, I know when I looked at it last, it was like 20%. I think it was higher. You know, when we decided we were going to talk about it, I went ahead and looked at it. 20% of the outstanding stock had been shorted. Um, and, and so that means earlier it was a higher percentage because people have closed their, 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 their positions. And so what this Reddit forum did was they identified that, they jumped in and on again, very thinly traded stock. What this basically means is you want to buy the stock. There aren't a lot of people selling it, right? The, shorter, the shorts have already sold it, right? There's not a lot of stock to sell. So to buy the stock, you've got to offer a higher and higher price so that someone will sell it. Well, if you have a short position and the stock jumps high, you lose, at least on paper, a significant amount of money. And so when you see this stock go up to $350, it's all going up because you have a supply demand imbalance, right? And you have the situation where the shorts, the people who shorted the stock are being forced to buy back stock where they basically can't even pay attention to price. Like in some situations- Yeah, they, 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 have, they, 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 it, they have to buy it. Like this, from, 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 from a margin perspective, the wirehouse, right. the, 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 the company holding the stock or the company holding your, your, your account will will put in buy orders for you you're you know they'll automatically do that because you've got to cover it which by the way means it goes in as what's called a market order which is a which is a signal to this to the company you know to, to the uh to the person that's selling it that goes oh this person's going to buy it at whatever the price might be which you know kind of drives it up and so you get this um reinforcing loop that drives the stock up right and, and so with gamestop the scary thing about it is not only the noise about it but literally literally nothing fundamental, no, nothing business related, nothing has changed. Um, by the way, as a, just a side note, you know what a big fan I am at Apple. Um, one of the most successful trades I ever made was when Apple announced that Steve Jobs was coming back, the stock shot up. And I wasn't working at Merrill Lynch at the time I was a client. I called my broker and I said, correct me if I'm wrong. S Steve Jobs is back but the company's still in trouble, right? Like nothing's changed. <laughs> um, and so I shorted, it's the only time I've ever shorted a stock. I shorted Apple. And I made, I made a nice little chunk of change on that. Um, I learned later that my broker piggybacked on it and went ahead and 
did, you know, did, did, did the same thing. Um, so again, there's nothing wrong with shorting stock. Um, I shorted a stock, you know, fundamentally, I said, no, it, it's, it's overvalued. I'm going to make my investment that it's overvalued. So, so you've got this craziness and this, I mean, it, it is the danger of echo chambers. Um, I worry about it because um, there are a whole lot of people that are buying the stock um, and, and what they don't understand too. By, by the way, when, when that short squeeze closes off levels levels out and uh, well, well the demand crushed the buy side the, the, see, the see, buy side is going to get right. yeah they're going to get crushed see see here here's the thing to understand this the short sellers are the buy demand right now so the the people who have shorted the stock are are the ones forcing the stock higher even though their position is for it to go lower that once that heats hits equilibrium the buy demand goes down through the roof and you're, you're back to where you were. And, and by the way, back you to go from $350 to $2 in like two trades. And that's a slight exaggeration. I saw a great quote that I had heard before, but the, you know, the market can remain irrational for a longer period of time than you can remain liquid, right? And it's the frustrating thing about this. Now, here's the other place where it's fueled. All of these people are making these trades at no cost. Yeah. Right. So, so the volume that has gone up, um, and the ability, to, the, the ability to go in and out, in and out, in and out, which which further amplifies this, is um, is is also dangerous. So that's what's going on. That's the underlying element. Um, psychologically, lesson wise, what what's your take? from this what, what so you uh, this? what's your well what's your right and, and I, again i i had i hadn't really been following it much until um hannah emailed me and then I, I i i read some more about it so my does this this is an underlying question that i have so now you've got this whole thing of i, I actually think it's <laughs> this is why i think it's a little bit brilliant that whoever was the one these wall street betters potentially found this this hole in investment strategies it is possible that you can go or let me ask you is it possible well one it is possible that you can go look at hey how many shorts are on you know how many what how many short positions are within this certain stock but if you could identify those quickly and then you could socially amplify the same thing over and over again to any company that is heavily shorted the, the, the answer to your question is yes. Um, but, but the danger of it is, is two or threefold. So, so first off, um, short interest is an indicator. But the, the behavior of a stock is, is far more complex than, right. than, than just that indicator. Um, the second thing is one of the things that causes short-term stock movements um, is there's an imbalance of information, right? And, and, and so what happened here was this, this forum that no one in the typical investment world paid attention to. Paid attention to it, right. Got, you know, built up, uh, you know, a crowd and, and, and everyone acted in, in, in a uniform way that, that really drove against it. And you also had, you know, you, you had a relatively small number. So when you take a look at 
at, at short interest, it, you don't know how many people have the stock that, that is short. And, and again, realize that, that if there's a lot of, if there's a high percentage of short interest against the stock, there's something wrong with the company, right? You know, there, there are, I, I think the, uh, I think the short interest on Apple is like 2% or 0.2%, some, you know, so there, there aren't a lot no, of people, no, right. Short right, there aren't a lot of people that are out there shorting shorting Apple, and if they are shorting Apple, they're shorting Apple, you know, because they're seeing something technical that they're expecting to to make up in a, you know, in a very small period of time. Um, so, so there, there's a lot of danger to that. By the way, it was interesting. And I don't know if this is still the case, but I believe yesterday, Reddit, um, um, the, the 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 moderators of that forum took the forum private, right? Because you know, what happened was there was an information imbalance. Now, actually, Mark Cuban tweeted this last night. He said, um, you know, he loves what's happening because it's, you know, it's a supply demand game and it's, you know, now, now the individual, and, and it's true, the individual gets to, you know, they're, they are having a lot of fun beating up the hedge funds, playing, playing the game that the hedge funds play, right? So I have no problem with that. And, and you know, and the people that are, are diminishing that, um, you know, saying that, this, that that's inherently bad, that, that haven't said the same thing about what, you know, high frequency trading, yeah. um, you know, the nature of, of the billions of dollars that have been set up so that my computer is closer to the exchange so that I get the signal a, a, a nanosecond of a nanosecond ahead of you. Um, that, so I can go, I can be in and out of the stock before you even get the indicator of what the next price is, right? They haven't been, you know, there hasn't been a lot of noise about that. Um, and now there's a lot of noise complaining. The, the, the danger is that, like, I don't believe anything that's happened, at least from what I've read, I don't believe anything that's happened is actually illegal. I think it's dangerous, but it is precisely what um, pump and dump schemes did, right? So if you've ever yeah. seen the movie Boiler Room, if you saw Wolf of Wall Street, this is precisely what they did is they found some stock that, that um, it, it wasn't the same thing as a short, but they found some stock that was really, really thinly traded. They got a hundred brokers to run out there and tell everybody, you know, how great it is now. And they made money twofold, right? They made the money because they had, you know, the stock was at a dollar and they would pump it up, you know, once it got to a certain point. Now they made money on the difference, but they also made money on the spread. And because of those thinly, and by the way, that's where these companies are making money. They're making money on spreads. So thinly traded stocks have have bigger spreads. Big price drums tend to have bigger spreads. So I I buy it for a little bit less than you sell it for. The company that managed the trade, they're the ones who keep that difference, right? Um, Robinhood does that, and I'm sorry, no. Robinhood makes their money because they don't execute the trades. Robinhood makes their money because companies pay to Robin execute Hood, the trades, right? The the the, the app. Um, they pay for the data and they pay to be able to execute the trades for the data and, and, and for those reasons. Um, so what you have is like, so, so A, you have, a, you know, you have a situation where now companies know that like investors know, hedge funds know, okay, wait, we got to factor this in. We got to look for this. We got to watch for this. We've got to hedge this. That's hence where hedge fund comes from. Um, so like the next one's not going to catch everybody by surprise. Um, and and I meant to say this, like the difference with AMC is one of the elements of AMC is there was a fundamental change, right? AMC got capital, right? AMC borrowed money right. Interesting. That, yep. that, that changed their fundamentals. Now, now some of that same short squeeze happened and, and all those other things 
were there, but there was a change in the fundamentals um, for, for AMC. Um, so, so yes, you can do this. The danger is what stops a group of people from starting a forum to do this, to get a bunch of people all jacked up and jumping into it to pump this stuff. Well, that, down right. Well, that, 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 right, right. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's the Wolf of Wall Street, so, the boiler rooms of the world that, you know, aren't, aren't so, overly moderated. So, so, so here, here are my lessons. You know, one question, and I remember I asked this when I first started advising, like, why do we let people sort stocks? And, and, you know, you could ask the same question about, you know, options, because, you know, when you sort of stock and, and you're buying options, I mean, the, the whole idea of the stock market originally was we're, we're going to let the public invest in the company. And so they will make money as companies make money. And it was a way for, for companies to reduce risk, to gain capital and to lift and to lift boats. And, and for, you know, much of the 20th century, the stock market was was a major driver of wealth creation. Um and, and it was a major driver of, and I want to say this, of wealth creation, not wealth multiplication. And, and I think one of the places where people are getting more and more frustrated is that, you know, the biggest are getting bigger at a much, much, much faster rate than, than anybody else. And in many cases at the expense of, and, and a couple of the reasons are there's nobody who's gotten rid of friction like the financial markets have, right? The, the reason for allowing companies, allowing people to short stock, the reason for um, allowing options is they create liquidity, right? Now, when they were created, the, the greater the liquidity, the less volatility, right? Because the thing you have to understand is that volatility is a huge tax, right? You, you give me two investments that return the same, I'll make, I'll generate more wealth on, on the one that has less volatility. As a matter of fact, if I have less volatility, I'll make more money with a lower return on a low, with, with, with less volatility. Um, especially when you think about um, individual investors who are saving for retirement, saving for houses, saving for, you know, to, 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 to provide for their families, et cetera. Um, and, and so these things initially created liquidity that, and that was their purpose, that, that, that softened the stock. And one of the key elements of friction was there was a cost for a trade, right? Going in, going out cost something. Yeah, um, and then E-Trade e made it cheaper and- Well, you know, E-Trade- Provided an online you know what, platform you know what, for You know what, they consumers. did, it's not E-Trade. It's not E-Trade. E, see, E-Trade made it cheaper for the individual investor. That's what I'm saying, for the consumer. Yeah, but that's right. not, but the individual investor, I mean, here's, the, here's something- you, the well, the individual investor, investor doesn't has really move nothing the to do with the market, right? right. As a matter of fact, the, the the most accurate indicator in the market is when individual investors are doing something, the market is more likely to do the opposite. Like the, the number one indicator that, that of a of a bear market is the percentage of individual investors that are coming in, small small lot purchases, right? And the number one indicator of a turnaround is they're all they're all getting out. But so so what happened was that, you know this high speed trading. So everything became computer. Everything could happen. You're in and out of a stock in a second. Yeah, like and you're looking second. at penny. Yeah, right. It, 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 fractions of a penny. Uh, you're you know, from, you're from, making from. fractions of a penny, but you're trading a billion shares. Yep. Right. That, that 
that do nothing and they create more. Well, so, so we're, what we've now done is just, we, you know, we have all these derivatives. All we got to take a look at 2009, 2010. You had financial instruments that were created on financial instruments that were created on financial instruments. And at one point in time, one of those financial instruments was actually based on something, the portfolio of, 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 of housing mortgages. But it got mixed with so many different things that literally nobody even knew what was in them. Right. And, you know, and, and, and so like, if you take a look at probably, I mean, this has been going, this has been accelerating since the eighties, but really heavy in the 1990s and into the aughts is we created fake money. I mean, I mean, if you take a look at where some of these banks were, there were banks that were leveraged 40 to one, which meant they had a dollar for every $40 that they had at risk. Boy, I don't understand why they needed to bail. Right. You know what? Let me let me trade forty dollars for every dollar I have. I'll tell you what. I'll either make. I always say, if you're going to go bankrupt, go big. Right. That's my. <laughs> if you're going to go, go big. The mistake everybody makes, everybody makes with bankrupts, or most people make with bankruptcy, is they they're just barely bankrupt, and that's a horrible place to be. Right. By the way, Donald Trump proved that in in his one of his early bankruptcies. You know, he proved that if you owe the bank three million dollars and you can't pay it back, you're in trouble. But if you owe the bank three hundred million dollars and you can't pay it back, the bank's in trouble. Right. And and so you you have these um, you you have these things that are happening that that are really not for anything. Right. We we've eliminated friction. We've eliminated the controls. And, and now people are making money on the sense of just the movement of something and it's no longer adding to or protecting or doing anything combined with echo chambers, right? Combined with, combined with, and you can see this happening in sales and marketing. You can see it in marketing, you can see it in social, right? And, and as we're following these echo chambers and we're becoming increasingly isolated, like it's the ultimate counterintuitive these, these technologies that are designed to make it, you know, to enable us to be more connected are, are now unequivocally making us more isolated, right? Where, where we hear more and more of the same things. And I'll tell you what, I think I've said this in a previous episode. Um, one of the reasons this is happening is no one went to jail in 2009, 2010. No one went to jail. Scott, Scott Galloway talked about this. We, we, there needs to be a perp walk, right? And so now you've got now you've got Robin Hood. That's ga- you know this whole gamification, um, and 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 this whole playing around. And, and and by the way, for all the Reddit forum that did, how many people that are in the stock right now? How many of them were there when it was five dollars? Yeah, that, that, none. Right. You know the the, the Munder Net Net Fund, which was a mutual fund of just internet companies. That like started in 1997. It was like up 75% or something like that in 1998, up like 300 or 400% in 1999 and down like 80% in 2000, which meant it was worth less than it was when it started, right? 80% of the funds that came into the, the net, Munder Net Net Fund came in after it hit its peak. Interesting. Right. Because the result is, you know, hey, wait, it's, you know, I got to make, and, and by the way, where they take the money out, they took all the money out of, you know, in 1999, the average stock in the S&P 500 that made money was down 3%. The average stock for the company that lost money was up 
right? 2000 came, all these companies, you know, when we realized monetizing eyeballs didn't mean anything, right? And, and, and so like where this comes, like this is the hype cycle um, in its most acute fashion. And, and how are people looking at technology? How are they looking at their MarTech investments? How are they looking at their um, marketing strategies? Like, like the number of times, like right now it's community, right? Community marketing, community marketing. And, and I, I read somebody now that said, you know, community marketing is the new thing of the, you know, of, you know, 20, I'm like, you know, community has been around forever, right? And, and by the way, I'm not anti-community. I, I, I will say that I think what people are missing is there's only so many communities someone's going to be. Be a part of. Part of, right. Um, but kind of everyone's jumping on the bandwagon because we're all managing this kind of this rear view mirror. We get on, I, like I'm seeing this on Twitter right now. It, it's um, the, the just the echo chamber effect of, you know, conversational, then account-based. Now it's community and it's just like, you know, when you're on there, you're, you're going, like, I'm always saying, wait a second, we're, we're doing, am I missing the boat? Do, right. do, I need to, do I need to change my strategy? And, uh, and, and, and you think, and you think you're like, cause everybody's saying this, except when you look at it, one person retweeted 300 things. Well, no, everybody's not saying it. One person is saying it. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, you know, it, it really is, you know, it, it really is a lesson. You, you, you got to play your game. You know, it, it is, you know, the winds are getting more variant. They're getting harder. You know, we've got climate change in, in nature. We've got the same things happening in, in business and personal life. Um, I remember really early in my professional career, I heard the quote and got a painting with this. I cannot, I cannot control the wind, but I can adjust the set of my sail. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you've, and by the way, if you don't know where you are and you don't have a plan for where you're going and what your path is to get there, then, then the winds are going to blow you around. And, and, and some of what's happening too, is this is having a major effect on consumer behavior. So, we, we're going to have increased volatility of of human behavior. So of our bias. well, I think I think I think that I think that right there is actually a very interesting point or very interesting issue that we don't address or we don't talk about is the the, the, the behavioral aspects, the way that the, the way that people's minds are working. Of hey, if I don't get a quick win or that endorphin rush, it didn't work. Like the, the, this process is never, it, it didn't work. And it's, and so we're, we run around and, and we're, we're, unfortunately we're training our brains to like, if we don't get that quick win, like move on, quick win, move on, quick win, move on. And it's, it's proliferating through, throughout, not only our, the way that we work, but also the way that we, you know, interact in life. Well, and it's, and it's exhausting. And it's exhausting. You know, one hundred percent. And it's and, and it's it's exhausting for for everybody around you, which makes it you know, which makes it that much worse. And I mean, I'm and, just as guilty of it at times. But I also try to see, you know, the forest through the trees. Um, um God, who was I listening to that talked about? Oh, it was um, Ben Ray Baum was interviewing Simon Sinek, 
And Simon Sinek was talking about this whole thing, you know, everyone's talking about hypergrowth. And he's like, well, well why? Because growth, because you got to grow. Okay, why? Because because grow, grow or die. Okay, but why? Why are you doing that? Right, so, so basically what you said is you're growing because you got to grow, because grow, right? And, and it's like, what, what, is, what is the destination that you're getting to, right? Where, what's the impact that you're getting to? Why are you doing that? Because um, what, what's happening, we're chasing buyer behavior, right? Which, which is a natural thing to do because by the way, you feel more confident. Right. Yeah. Everybody knows that this tactic works. So let's go do that. Right. And because it feels more certain, but the buyers already works changed. Until, right. It works until it doesn't. Right. right. It, you know, right. It, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, it's the, the proverbial, you're driving your car by looking through your rearview mirror. You're not going to do very well. And, and so with that volatility and that noise, it makes it more important. You've got to have the key elements of what is your roadmap? How are you making progress? Right. Um, and, 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 and realize like, you don't have to do everything that everyone's doing. You don't have to do everything that works. You know what? You really only have to do one thing that works. Um, and, and, you know, so it, it's really, uh, you know, it is more important than ever. And I'm, we'll, maybe we'll talk about this some point in the future. Um, it's, it's more important than ever that, that you, you, you control the noise. Now, now I worry about that because to some degree, the more you quote unquote control the noise, the more you get yourself back into, you know, an echo chamber because we are. You'll, you'll, you'll sit there and only listen to what you want to listen to. So, so, so again, there, there, you, you really have to have, I mean, it is, it is very much of, of, of that sailing analogy. And, and I think when you look at what's going on with uh, GameStop, um, you, you, you see a number of elements that have all come together um, that, that are neither positive or negative. It's, it's the context. Um, and, and, and look, you know what? There, there's this myth, boy, we're getting crazy, but this is a crazy jump. People are like, I've listened to this show for sales and marketing. <laughs> um, you know, there's this myth that has come in that capitalism and regulation are, are exclusive of each other. Um, and, and the reality is that, that, that capitalism has always involved regulation. It has not been um, free market. I, you know, I would argue that, that if you look at the, the greatest period of wealth creation in the 20th century, you will see very strong regulation that, that um, had a redistribution effect, was not efficient, right? It, redistribution, redistribution is not efficient goes back to that um, um, Gaussian bell curve distribution as opposed to the Pareto distribution. Um, and, and, and you just, you, you're, there's a lot of change that's about to come. And I mean, you know, we, we see the turbulence, like no one can argue anymore that there's turbulence, right? And, and um, you know, probably more important than ever. So, so I was listening to a, di a different podcast. I forget what it was. They were talking about the printing press, right? Like, look, all this stuff, you know, there were, there were literal wars that were started because of the printing press. There, there's some, I forget what it is, but there's some um, ver you know, part of the Catholic religion that's like this really um, antagon antagonistic um, cult of the Catholic religion that came about because one of the King James Bibles had a typo in it. 
So it changed the meaning of some passage and, you know, got printed, you know, thousands of times instead of being handwritten and only being printed once that, you know, this whole thing happened because of the printing press. Um, and, and, you know, so all those things are going on. And, and, and I think it, you know, if, if we're not as sales and marketers and, and growth executives, if we're not looking at this and, 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 say, and thinking about, okay, what does this mean? And, and how do we navigate? Um, then, then, then I think that there's, um, you know, you're going to look back with, with some regret. Yeah. And I, so you may completely disagree with this statement. I'm just kind of coming up with it in, 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 as we talk. But I think one of the things that we're seeing with this GameStop thing, and it, it could just be the echo chamber that that I'm in, is there's this big celebratory kind of situation going on right now where everybody's like, oh, David's beating up Goliath, which is Goliath is the head funds and David's the, you know, the Wall Street betters. But you got to remember... Uh, a lot of foundations and nonprofits and their money is tied up in these hedge funds. So when they lose this money, that's going to have that kind of trickle down effect. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, I, I will say this. I have no sympathy whatsoever for the hedge funds. I well, no I, to, to, I totally zero, agree. But I, I, but, I have, I, but I have some sympathy for the for the foundations um, and the, that, I'm that, not, that they support. You know, I understand, you know, in some ways, because they have no choice, there is no viable alternative. Maybe that there's no viable sympathy. alternative. That That's exactly what it is. There is no but, viable alternative for them to. to, to but you to, know what? But you know what they're not. You know what I don't see them doing? I don't see them lobbying for change. No, not. I don't. Why would I, don't they? I don't. I don't see them lobbying for the carried interest um, exemption to care to carry forward so that so that hedge funds can go about and do things with basically do it tax free. Yeah. I don't, I don't see, I see what, what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is this, the celebratory aspect of it. I don't, I, I don't know that I, and again, I'm, I'm just formulating these thoughts. I don't know that I, that I'm totally uh, like, I, I, I understand that, what that you're saying. Should be, that it should be actually celebrated because yeah, the hedge funds. I, I totally agree with you. They're they're total assholes. But the Here, here's the, look the here's money the behind them. You, you know what though, Mike? Here here's the problem. Tesla is worth more than every car company combined on the planet. Yep. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just moronic. I totally agree. That's just moronic. And and you know what? You're you're a foundation, and you're there, and 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 it's funding you for X. Well, well, first off. I don't know that that's actually as true as it used to be, right? Because because you know what I haven't seen? I haven't seen Harvard's endowment or Johns Hopkins endowment or Stanford's endowment kick in and say, um, you know, I, I know at certain colleges, I have a friend who works at one of the colleges um, that they're not, their health insurance isn't covered anymore. They have to pay for their health insurance because they had to make a cut. But their endowment returned 22% last year. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought that endowment was to endow the security of the university for years to come. You know, I, I used to talk, I talk about the, the attribute, the, the, the virtue of profit. And I say, if you don't have profit, then when the bad times hit, when the headwinds hit and there's loss, then you don't have the resources to get through the bad times. So if you don't make profit, you're actually 
being uh, the opposite of virtuous because you are not gonna be sustainable and your people are gonna get hurt when the bad times come. Except, you know what I saw? And I saw this from people that I know really, really well. And they're like, well, look, I can't, you know, you know, if, if this doesn't turn around for me in the next three days, I'm gonna have to lay a couple people off. And I'm like, dude, you've made more money in the last two years. In the I next mean, you, 30 you, days, you right. I, no, no, I, I get it, I get you, it. You, I, you and yes. I laughed about, you and I laughed about how much money you were making. Well, wait, wait a second. Why don't you support him for the next six months? Right. And, and now to some degree, I understand that because that's a very small business, but these, you know, these larger businesses. So, you know what? I don't, I think I understand what you're saying in theory, but I'll tell you, you know, it's long-term, it's not healthy. This, this, this no, I'm, this I'm not, I'm not, and so I'm we got to take some people behind the barn. We got to take some people, we got to take some hedge funds and some people behind the barn. We've got to bring some level of, of, of intelligent regulation We've got to bring some level of intelligent redistribution because I'll tell you, you know what? There's been a major, major, major redistribution of wealth in the last year. And it's been the reverse Robin Hood, right? I mean, you know, how much richer is Elon Musk this year in, from 2020? How much richer is Jeff How much richer is Walmart where Walmart was allowed to stay open because they're because they were providing essential services grocery stores, right? But the company that sold beach chairs wasn't allowed to be, you know, the store that sold beach chairs wasn't allowed to be open, but Walmart was allowed to sell beach chairs. Yeah. And, you know, and you know who didn't let Walmart sell beach chairs? Um, Whitmer in Michigan. She actually made the store say, look, your essential part can be open, but you got to close off the non-essential part. And how many people stormed the capital of Michigan and wanted, you know, I, this is where, you know what? So I don't, I'm sorry, you got me. No, that's all I was saying. It, 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 it was right. It was a. It, it, it's a. It's no, no, a I, I understand. And I'm still formulating the way that I, the, the, the way that I think yeah. about it. Um, you know what it is? We're we're it, it's just so much. We're at, we're at a paradigm shift. I mean, yeah. th th this is the, you know, this is the nomadic to agriculture, agriculture to industrial, industrial to information, and now that next phase. And 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 what I would say is that you know again it goes back to you got to be really clear and you got to navigate your path. All right, Mike. Our producer is yelling at us. We got to we got to cut off. We went uh, this this uh, we went a little crazy. Um, for by the way, for those of you who are thinking that didn't really have anything to do with sales and marketing, I'll challenge you to really listen to that because um, because I think it um, you know I really, I really think it does. All right, here we go. Let's go to our question today. Mm hmm. Oh yeah. How's everybody doing? All right. Hannah, what is the question? Question for you guys. When is it time to call it quits on contacting a prospect who never responds to emails, returns phone calls, or even picks up the phone? Is there a proper way to let them go? No, there's an easy answer. You never, it's, it's never the right time. They, they buy or die. You work the contact until they buy or die. Right, Mike? I, well, depends. Um, that's, what, that's what I was told. Right. It, well, it, I, I think it all depends on where, it, look, not not everybody's i may show interest in a product today that i'm not going to buy for a year and a half two years three years i mean steve powell even said it look we're trying to sell to maybe 10 percent of our market is in is looking to buy something similar to what we sell every year so i i guess it all depends on where that prospect's coming from that that, that would be that's that's kind of my opinion so, so what do you advise your, your people? When, when do you stop? Well, you I think you can, stop? well, I, one, I mean, I think you can go full bore at the beginning, 
if the interest isn't there, no one's showing up, then again, it depends on where that, am I reaching out to you cold? Did you reach out to me? You know, did I meet you at a trade show? What, what was the process? Hey, hey, Hannah, in which I think we the, the question's related to cold, right? Because you said they've had no contact. Yes. Yes. So, so you, you, you. Okay. So there's never been a contact. I, I pulled your name from LinkedIn or, or somewhere along those lines. I'm of the opinion that, hey, you may never want to let them go. Back to that, die, you know, buy so or die. Work them, work them, work them, work them, work them, work them, work them. No, 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 no. You change, you change, you change frequency. Um, absolutely. You know, you can go. That's what I was saying. You go out on full board, no response. Give it a couple more months. Maybe send them, you know, something a little bit more value. Still no response. Wait a couple more months. Try them again. You know, don't obviously try to show some value along the way, but you, well, you never know when they're going to be in that situation where whatever you're, again, this goes back to everybody says, Oh, I want to try to like, if I, if I don't get that endorphin rush or that win now, I'm just going to, it, it, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to, you know, move on to the next thing. The same thing. What about prospects? What about somebody, let's say that, um, you know, you had, you had, they talked to you a couple of times and now they've gone totally dark, non-responsive. What about then? What do you do there? John Burroughs had an awesome um, way of, and, and I've used it a couple times and I thought it was, I actually got a couple of really good responses to it. Like uh, what his recommendation was, hey, you've had a couple email exchanges, person goes dark, you continue to follow up with them. You take that whole email chain and you change the subject line and you say, did I lose you? And that's all you got to do. And I tried it and sure enough, I got a couple of responses um, or it, it, when I've tried it, I've gotten a couple of responses of, hey, you know what? Right now just wasn't the time for me. It wasn't the time for me then. But hey, let's reconnect and have, How do you know a, when you know, do have a discussion. When's it the right time to do that? I don't have exact numbers on how many emails you should be sending, how many weeks you should be following up. I mean, it, it depends on your sales process. It depends on you know what you're selling, uh, all of this. But, So I, I wish, I, I don't know. How do you know? I go to my magic eight ball and I say <laughs> right. magic eight ball. Eight ball. Yeah. yeah. All right. There you go. I should have yeah. answered your question that way. So I, I, I agree that it's contextual. Um, I'm a big fan of, of campaign intervals. So, so when yes, we're doing frequency I, or campaign interval, I understand. Right. Um, I just want to clarify. I understand. When when we're um, when we're working with clients, we 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 introduce so we'll we'll run an outreach campaign for ninety days, um, and and we'll have uh, we'll go on off on. On off on off on. So we'll have we'll have three ons, two offs. So in essence, we'll run three plays, with a with a gap between the plays, and if we get nothing, we'll recycle them. Um, they'll they'll continue to be part of the inbound methodology. Um, and, you know, depending upon the situation there's, you know, we, we establish a time protocol where, where they actually go back into the pool. Right. So, so we don't typically have, well, in a, in a really highly targeted, um, account based strategy. So if, you, if you're really working with a finite, we would probably have, we, we would give a defined period of time for them to go off. It would be off at least 90 days, probably closer to six months. Um, in a typical situation, we just kind of have a pool. 
I, I will say that I think that people make a mistake. I, I think salespeople make the mistake of pursuing too long. Um, you know, and, and, and especially early, like the number of times I've had a client are like, well, you know, this person can't, I can't get a hold of it. This person won't, won't connect with me. And I'm like, okay, well, why, why are you obsessed about this person? Right. There's 10,000 people that you could be talking to. Why are you obsessed about this person? Um, well, I read a news article about it. Okay. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's plenty of fish out there, right? You know, find that. Now, I'll tell you what you got to know is you got to know your fish, right? You got to know the pond. You got to know the situation. You, you, you do have to create value. Um, I, I also think that, that what you but that's where, okay, I, I totally agree with you, but that's where a little bit of the contextual stuff comes in because there, there were, there have certainly been, when I was, you know, higher dollar item sales, like I might reach out to somebody for a few months. They don't get back to me. I try them again in another few months, still don't get back to me. Two years goes by, Hey, I've connected with them. They respond to me. There's a little bit of conversation that goes on. Another year goes by, boom. It's time for them. Let's open well, up and, the doors. But by the way, so, in, in, in very high, I, I was selling a very specialized product at the same time, so that, uh, it, that's it, where the contextual in high ticket in, in high ticket sales. I, I I know somebody who who sold for Boeing. He he told me it, if if he can get if he can get into the count in less than three years, he's happy. Not if he can get them to buy in less than three years. Right, right. Just get a if conversation. If get into the account Absolutely. in less than yep. three years, he's happy, yep. right? Um, so, so again, you know, there, there, there is that context. Now, now he's not just calling people, right? He's doing a lot of different things. He's building networking, uh, and correct, do you correct. know this so, person? So, uh, but right. But but so so what I would say um, to to this person is, if if you're part of a sales organization, your sales organ like that that should be a core part of your playbook, giving you those protocols. Uh, by the way, I will also say, and I'm a big fan of, of, of John's approach. Um, I do it a little bit differently. Um, I do, you know, from an email standpoint, the single greatest sales email in history is the breakup email. Um, but it's also the one that's the most annoying and the most made fun of. And that is because it is so effective. People use it without earning the right to use it. Right. So it's everything that happens before the breakup email, before the breakup email Makes Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because I get tons of those all the time, and it's like, well, I was never, I never even responded to one of your emails. Why are you Correct. break it up with me? Whereas what I'm talking about with did I lose you is we've at least interacted. Right, no, I know, I know, I know. Right, I right. And I, I thought that was actually I, brilliant of yeah. of John to come up with and well, love to and hear your approach one day. But by, by the way, the other thing too is you got to put in the work. Yeah. Um, so so I tend to say from that you're you're typically looking at four to six emails and three to five calls where, where you've communicated something legitimately. Now I'll give this piece of advice. I'll give, I'll give a very tactical piece of advice because we've been very conceptual today. Do not start the email with just checking in. Do not start the email with, I wanted to put this at the top of the list. And, and the reason is not because it's an annoying phrase. Uh, by the way, I've, I've gone on this thing when people say, you know, stop using just checking in. I now ask them, so what do you recommend to use instead? So for everyone said, well, you know, it depends. Okay, so, so I, I get it. Like it, 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 it's hard. The reason I say don't do it is don't tell me that I've already ignored your email, right? It's like when I make a call, the worst thing you can do if you're doing an email call rhythm, which I recommend highly, you don't start the call by saying, I sent you an email, did you get it? You don't even say I sent you an email because you're 
you, you've put the focus towards something that has nothing to do with what you want to talk about, right? Um, so don't say to me, put it at the top of the list. Oh, that's right. I've seen this before and, and ignored it. Right? You, you've <laughs> right. already kind of categorized I've, it. Somewhere. Right, right, right. I've already, I've already ignored this for a specific reason. And, and, and I'll tell you what, because I, I read a lot of emails for a lot of people and I struggle with, with that first, hey, I just wanted to check in. And I'll write that in the email that I'm drafting. And then you know what I do? I delete that sentence or paragraph. I'll write it because it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? It just doesn't feel right when I'm, but I'll delete it and just, I just come in cold on this, in essence, on the second paragraph. It, it works 10 times better, right? That's, that is a super interesting strategy, right? It is like you're talking, like you're talking and get rid of that, that. You know, so, so it, it, it's hard, like I get, it's hard to get into the flow without your soft introduction. And you've been, you've done it, probably so many people have done it for so long. And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes too, of, you know, a falling up into our previous conversation or whatever. Social etiquette is you ramp up to conversation. Right. Right. Accept it. And especially when you're talking to executives, like, you know, lead paragraph, the most important thing first, the most important thing isn't, Hi, nice yeah, to meet you. They don't you. They, right. They, they, they don't have right. They're not but looking it, for another conversation over email. But again, it feels really weird. So when you come in cold, right, it actually has more impact. It gets noticed. So that will be my tactical advice. Um, your playbook should dictate that. You don't want to, you know, it is don't, it's not buy or die. Um, but yeah, it is it is highly, highly contextual. All right, Mike, let's wrap it up. What's your prediction or takeaway for everybody today? Takeaway, we, gosh, we've we've used this one before, but it, just based off of the GameStop, it's better to be lucky than good. Um, you know, we, we've all got so many aspects of our lives are our bets. I mean, we've but we've got to you know we got to make sure they're calculated bets. I'm gonna, you know what? I wasn't gonna go there, but I need to. I need to. Uh, I need to. I, I'm gonna say it's better to be good than lucky. Um. All right, there we go. This is how we're gonna end it. No, but I'm gonna tell you why, right? I'm gonna tell you why, and I and 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 you'll agree with me when I'm done. Um. I have a horrible swing, and the ball lands between the shortstop and the left fielder, and I'm on second base. I was lucky. I hit the ball off the screws right to the right fielder. I'm out. Which swing would you rather have? Hit to the right field. Right. Because, and, and this gets to GameStop, right? I, I But prob- now, oh, right. But no, the problem of it's better to be lucky than good is that you measure yourself by the outcomes and the results. And what you don't, so like, like there are, the the danger is someone is going to make money on GameStop and they're going to go, I got this figured out. Look at me. I'm a genius. And they're going to go, and they're going to go, I'm going to look up which companies have short interest and they're going to lose a shit ton of money right? because they were lucky and they were not good. Right. Okay. So luck happened. What was the, what was the term? Success happens when preparation meets luck or preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, but but so so the preparation you know, part is that better to be good than lucky. Correct, right? Cuz there's yes. only like the, the the result is going to be determined by decision quality, 
as measured by behavior, right? What you do, decision quality and luck. You don't control luck, you do control, you do control decision quality. And, and the tough thing right now is, if I were to look at the result, I was stupid not to jump on GameStop. I knew about this two weeks ago, right? I, I've had people, I've had, I have HubSpot people who tell me, yeah, I, I shouldn't have sold, I shouldn't have sold what I sold a year ago. Yeah. Like, no, you absolutely should have. You, you should have, right? Right. Again, don't right? second quit. Right. Because the result, question. the result was wrong. But let me tell you, it was a lot less likely that that was going to happen, right? Yeah. And and so with with this echo chamber, the problem that we're in is we we we're, we're and it's natural. We we look at the result rather than the input. And I'm going to tell you, if you focus on the input, if you keep getting better and better at the input. You're, you're going oh, to, at some point, absolutely, absolutely. So, absolutely. so I'm going to leave everyone by saying it's better to be good than lucky. There you go. And on that note, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Black Line Podcast. And Mike, it is 2021. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next two weeks. So who knows what we'll be talking about then? Exactly. <laughs>